Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Episode 116 coming at you. We got a packed show, as always. The Postman is here. Check your mailbox. Steve Post is on from the Motor Racing Network and various other different companies, corporations, entities. You guys may just know him as a pit reporter for MRN. Oh, no. He's got way more than meets the eye. We're going to peel back the onion a little bit with the postman, chat about his illustrious career in motorsports, a Swiss army knife of sorts, as I call him. Plus, we're going to chat a little bit about Kurt Busch, the other KFB, and Atlanta. Why are the drivers so pissed off? But before we do any of that, Papa Siegel is paying homage to good old Greg Biffle, it is episode 116 after all. Here's this week's Wayback segment. Thank you, Do, and welcome everyone to episode 116. Today, we say hello again to the Biff. Greg Biffle won championships in the Truck and Xfinity Series and had a productive 510 race cup career, spanning 15 years, including 19 wins. He was the face of Roush Racing and its 16 car during some of its most productive years and finished second in the cup points in 2005. You may have heard the story of how Biffle got his start in NASCAR. He struck up a friendship with the late Benny Parsons while driving late model cars on Western short tracks. Benny recommended Biffle to Jack Roush, but nothing initially came of it. However, during the early years of the truck series, Roush was trying to sign Tommy Kendall to drive his third tra- team truck. Kendall declined because he didn't want to move east from his home on the Pacific coast. When Roush mentioned this to Parsons, Benny reminded him about the Biffle kid I told you about. Roush thought about it for a second, and without doing any other checks on who this kid was, he told his team manager to hire Biffle probably was one of the best decisions he ever made. Biffle liked, and still does, all things that go fast. He shares a love of aviation with Roush, and owns several of his own planes. But here's one for you to share with Robin's dad, Duve. He's the real car enthusiast. Biffle also owns a 2007 Shelby Mustang GT500, with a 983-horsepower engine sporting 799 foot-pounds of torque. I can't even imagine pushing the gas pedal on a beast with that many ponies. That's all for this week. Back to you, my boy. Thank you, Dad. Short and sweet, as always. And I will be sure to uh, tell Robin's dad that he has now made an appearance on the podcast. So, Robin's dad, if you're listening... Welcome to the show. Let's start this episode off, as always, with a good old-fashioned... 
Robin's in the same room as me currently, and she is plugging her ears, I think, because I'm being very loud and obnoxious. Anyways, let's talk about the race, shall we? Kurt Busch wins the last race on the old Atlanta surface. I wrote in my notes, KFB, in parentheses, but not that KFB, wins, which is true. I did not see this coming. I don't think a lot of people did. Kurt Busch not just won the race. He had the dominant car, which was pretty surprising to me. And for the eighth straight season, I believe it's eight now, Kurt Busch has won a race in the Cup Series. This time he does it on the last race ever on the old Atlanta Motor Speedway surface. You know how sometimes like when you're on a boat or you have a car that means a lot to you, you call it she and you're like, yeah, she's nice. She's driving real well. She's a hard worker. Well, Kurt Busch did that with the Atlanta asphalt today. A little weird, but I feel like I'm here for it. Yeah, I came into this weekend respecting the racetrack more than, than I ever have. You know, Atlanta Motor Speedway is one of the top tracks for all the drivers based off of how we're able to slide the car through the corners and choose which lane we want to race in. And, you know, it, it, like a raceability factor. Atlanta Motor Speedway was always at the top of the list. And I came in to respect her surface and to ask her, for the right amount of grip today and I could feel it. I could feel like she was helping me pull through and come out on top. I really wanted to win this last race on the old surface. I was pushing hard and I'm really happy for our gear wrench team to win this last race here. Track will go through a facelift. You know, it's gonna have a lot of new feel and a lot of new action next year, but this was uh, the last uh, little bit of the old school and I'm glad uh, an older, older guy won the race today. And his little brother, the other KFB, the real KFB, Notorious, he was not too happy with Kurt's teammate, Ross Chastain. And to be frank with you, Kyle should not be happy with him because Ross was blocking Kyle, did help his teammate get past Kyle for the eventual win, and Ross did nothing wrong. Like, you can have both of these things. Kyle can and should be mad that Ross put Kyle in a precarious position, and Ross should be told that he did nothing wrong. If anything, he went out of his way to do the right thing for his teammate. It's not race manipulation. It's going out of your way to help a teammate. You know what that's called? Teamwork. Deal with it. Kyle Busch, if he if he had Christopher Bell, who was holding up Kurt Busch, he would have asked Christopher Bell to do the same thing and probably would have expected that. If Christopher Bell was coming up, Kyle, he probably would have been asked and maybe would have obliged to do the same thing. If the shoe was on the other foot, you're telling me that Kai wouldn't have asked his teammate to help him out? It happens all the time. Kyle should be salty. Ross should not apologize. Both of them did those things, and we move on. So let's move on. Drivers were very, very unhappy this weekend about a multitude of things, and to be honest, I, I can't really blame them. I'm not going to get too deep into it here because I wrote about it at length this week on NASCAR Mailbox on FrontStretch.com, so... Go ahead and check that out. And when you're done listening to this episode with The Postman, I encourage you guys to check out the NASCAR and NBC podcast with Nate Ryan. He had a great conversation with Jeff Burton about this topic, and he also was on the O'Reilly Auto Parts Pit Reporters on PRN this week, so check those out after. But Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, and Kevin Harvick, they were the most outspoken of the drivers this weekend, and they had some things to say. I wish I was at Atlanta so I could have grabbed some audio for you guys, but Odds are, if you're listening to this, you're diehard enough to know what they've said already. I'll do a quick cliff notes for you. After he won the Xfinity race, which we'll get to in a sec, Kyle basically blasted Atlanta, blasted SMI, 
no brains, nobody's thinking, the racetrack's going to race like shit, his words, not mine, and he was not happy about it, he explained why, then the next day, Kevin Harvick was asked about it, basically said they should have just turned it into a short track, because that's what Fontana's doing, and that's probably a good idea, this would have saved money for everybody if they just turned it into a short track, because the racing that they're going to have is not going to be good, Denny Hamlin said similar things, but he was more so focused on actual communication and a breakdown of that communication when it comes to a multitude of different things. Now, the drivers, I guess you could say anger, frustration, why they were pissed off, it all stems from a lack of communication. And that's what my column at Front Stretch was titled. Does NASCAR have a communication problem? I think they do. And it's not just NASCAR, it's SMI as well. The reason the drivers were so mad about the Atlanta repave, reconfiguration, reprofiling was not just because they were repaving it, not just because they were narrowing the racing groove and increasing the banking. They were mad because nobody told them. They didn't get a heads up. And apparently the one driver that did, ironically enough, was Kurt Busch. And he wins the last race on the old surface. That, that's a different point for a different day. But I don't see the harm here in Marcus Smith... Steve Swift, Brandon Hutchison, anybody from SMI or Atlanta or NASCAR texting in the driver text chain group chat that we've heard a lot about this week and saying, hey, we know you guys love Atlanta. We're going to have to repave it. It was an inevitability. It's going to happen. Just so you guys know, we're also thinking about doing this to the banking and shortening the corners and the straightaways. What do you guys think? And if everybody said, no, we don't want that to happen, then you know they can say, Okay, we understand you. We hear you. These are the reasons we think it's going to be beneficial. These are the reasons we're going to do it. We hear you. We understand. We're sorry, but we're just going to have to agree to disagree here. That's what Denny Hamlin essentially said in no uncertain terms. And you guys can look up the quote. He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, we don't have to agree with what NASCAR, SMI, ISC, whatever. We don't have to agree with what you're doing, but we're the ones that are racing. We're the ones that are putting on the show. They come to see us. They don't come to see you guys. So at least just tell us. Give us a heads up on what you want to accomplish. If you want to accomplish Daytona and Talladega-style pack racing on a mile-and-a-half track, that's fine. I don't agree with that. But if that's what you want, tell us, and we'll help you accomplish that goal. If you want to accomplish the goal of closer racing, more pack-style racing, less off-throttle time, I don't like that, but if that's what you want, I'll help you do that. Now, I think Denny may be in the minority of a person that would go out of his way to help somebody accomplish something that he does not want. Like, I don't think Kyle Busch is going to basically go to NASCAR and say, well, even though I don't want this, here's what you should do. But I think that there are a fair amount of drivers that would side with Denny and try to help him out. And that's what Denny was saying. And this is not falling on deaf ears because he was speaking it from the rooftops he was basically insinuating that a lot of drivers feel the same way. And then, I'm going into a rant, and I said I wasn't going to. The next-gen safety concerns as well. There's been a lot of radio silence on that. And then there's been some rumors that have been started about, oh, the crash dummy got killed. But then it was really that the test actually itself did not function properly. So the test was killed because the test did not actually go through. And now NASCAR is trying to do damage control and saying, no, there's a lot of false information out there. Here's what's going on. Here's what we're waiting on. But the chassis are late. The Bristol test isn't going to happen. Everybody's behind schedule. It's not a good situation right now. And I don't want to sound like Dr. Phil or like a psychiatrist here, 
But I genuinely, and maybe it's like my camp counts are coming out. I don't know. I genuinely feel like all this BS could be fixed with effective communication. And if I'm wrong, let me know. But I feel like the, the Atlanta repave, if people just got a heads up and they were explained as to why this is happening, they probably wouldn't be blasting it from the rooftops as to why it's going to suck. The next-gen safety concerns. If somebody told them, hey, we had this crash test. It didn't work properly. Here's what happened. We're going to have a little bit of a delay. So sorry, but we want to err on the side of safety. Great. That's fine. Just let people know. But it seems, and I'm saying it seems because I'm not privy to all the information that drivers, teams, officials get. It seems like nobody is talking. And that's not good. And people are drawing comparisons to the CART IRL split in the late 90s. I think that's a little premature. But these are some warning signs. It's not good. So if NASCAR, ISC, SMI, the drivers, if they want to fix this, all you got to do is talk. Pick up the phone. Send a text. Have a face-to-face meeting. Just talk to people. Rant over. All right. Let's talk a little bit about Xfinity and a little bit about trucks. Even though the notorious KFB did not win on Sunday, he did win for the fifth and final time this season in the Xfinity Series and for the 102nd and final time, allegedly, is an Xfinity Series career. So he says he's done. Do you guys think he's done? I'm a little skeptical. I feel like we may see a one-off or a two-off or maybe a return in a couple years. But for now, we think that this is it, 102 and done, for KFB in the Xfinity Series. Not quite the, the win we were hoping for. You know, a little bit of a somber win, I guess. You know, not just um, for, uh, for for it being the last one, but for the way it kind of happened. You know, just really hate it for my teammate, uh, Daniel Hemrick, there on the front stretch, just trying to get to him, trying to push him. Yeah, trying to hit him and get him moving forward. And uh, we hit that bump in the track right at the same time, and it kind of juked his car, and then he was across traffic, I guess. And so ended up wrecked, which that was not, uh, not at all how I – saw that going um, but you know we uh, we were able to push our way through and, and get uh, on to victory lane so uh, good to get JGR in victory lane Toyota uh, M&Ms and um, you know Twix uh, Skittles obviously with uh, extra gum on there today them being close nearby was was really special too with as many different vendor partners as we've had on the car this year um, you know feels good to have uh, a five for five season like that with uh, with all those different sponsors thanks to M&Ms so um, yeah, I mean, that, this is this is it. You never say never, but um, this was the last one. So um, last scheduled run. We'll uh, hang it up and do something else on Saturdays. He mentioned it was kind of on a somber note. He didn't really do his celebratory bow. He didn't do donuts because he accidentally booted his teammate, Daniel Hemrick, out the way, who cannot get out of his own way in terms of luck right now. But his win's coming eventually. And then the truck series at Knoxville the night before. I wrote yikes in my notes, but only for the end because the heat races were great. First 25 laps were great. Knoxville itself as a racetrack, as a facility, is great. But the ending was not great. Uh, It was bad. Full disclosure, I was actually out with some friends, and I'm walking back to my apartment, and I was telling Robin, I'm like, hey, I want to get home to watch the end of the race. She's like, how many laps are left? She checks. There's 10 laps to go. It's a dirt track. It's going to be quick. I'm like, eh. All right, whatever. Maybe I'll catch the victory lane. I saw all of it because it was 29 laps, quadruple overtime, cautions, breeding cautions, breeding cautions, wrecks after wrecks after wrecks. It was embarrassing. It was. And uh, 
I hope we don't see that again. But I do want to say Austin Hill came through all the wreckage, gets his first win of the year. And now he, he already clinched a playoff spot. But now with a three-week off break for the truck series, he's now got some playoff points to his name as the 16 team goes into the playoffs. I think the biggest thing that I that was a big unknown was what was our truck going to do when we rolled back off with having the tires sit there for that long and cool off that much. You know, the air pressure starts coming down a little bit, so it's going to drive differently. So I didn't really know what our Tundra was going to drive like. I was going to do everything I could not to slip those tires and get the, the restart that I could. And uh, you just, in those situations, you just got to be mentally prepared and, and just got to stay locked in. You can't be thinking about anything else other than that restart because that restart wins you the race. It was not Knoxville's fault. It was not NASCAR's fault. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. Part of it was NASCAR's fault. I just think overall there's a lack of respect, and this is not a hot take because everybody pretty much has the same take. There's a lack of respect with the truck series field in terms of who the drivers race, how they race them, things like that. So I think it's got to be fixed on a, on a broader level for the truck series. Before we throw it over to our interview with the postman, Steve Post, we got a sponsored read on the podcast. Once again, I want to give a shout out to Rhino Classifieds. They came on the scene recently with a bang, giving away Vaughn Gittin Jr.'s drift truck. And Rhino was created by the founder of Racing Junk because he wanted to create a more streamlined buying and selling app that allowed users to just see what they wanted rather than all those ads that get in the way, all the random crap no one wants. So do me a favor, head over to rhino.co, R-Y-N-O dot C-O, sign up for a free account, free account, find the car part, race car, classic car, modified, street machine, whatever it is you're looking for, you can post yours too. Rhino.co, classified for racers, built by racers. Interview time. Let's throw it over to our chat with Steve Post. Of the Motor Racing Network. I think Robin's laughing at me because I was singing interview time. What? Hold on. All right. Let's get her thoughts. Why do you think this is funny? I do this every episode. I don't always hear it. I guess that's a good thing. Uh, Steve Post is great. I mean, he's one of those guys where you could just say something. You can say five words and he'll talk for five minutes, maybe 10, maybe 15 minutes. And he did a lot of that this episode. It was great to learn a little bit more about his career. Again, you guys may know him from MRN. But he had a whole entire career as a PR rep for Kenny Wallace. How about those stories? Ricky Rudd. How about that? Also cut his teeth on dirt tracks and short tracks growing up. And has about 20,000 other jobs that he does today all in the world of racing. So without further ado, here is the postman. Check your mailbox. Put up that flag. Incoming Steve Post of MRN Wing Nation. All around positive guy with the mullet of sorts. Simply better living. Here is Steve Post. I'm very happy to welcome on the postman himself, Steve Post. You know him, you love him. He is simply better living. I got to start with the thing that people may know you best by right now. Your hair, it's free flowing. That is simply better living, if you ask me. When did this start? When's the last time you cut your hair? Well, I mean, I get it trimmed up a little bit and thinned out, but it started... It was pre-COVID, too. I was kind of letting mm. it go a little bit. And what it started with, okay, men's hair, like strangers, people that you know, they feel perfectly com comfortable critiquing men's hair, okay? 
So I was, I, I, I literally started letting my hair grow out and I had no plan to do it or anything else. But then I was, I was actually at GoPro Motorplex and a guy came up and he said, postman, you need to get your hair cut. And I'm like, that's weird. And he laughs and he's got like chipped black teeth. And I'm like, my thought was, well, yeah, you need to invest in a toothbrush, but you can't say that. Okay. <laughs> of course so, not. What, so how this thing started is that men's hair is open season. I've got, I've got somebody that I, that I know non, not in the racing world and she wears maybe a little too much makeup at times. And so she says, you got to do something with your hair. It's terrible. And I'm just like, well, you know, maybe you want to go one less layer on the spackle, you know, but you can't say anything about you. There's very little in the world that you can critique anybody on, but men's hair seems to be open season. You can't say anything about women's hair and you know, you just can't. So it started kind of like as my thumb in the nose to that. And, and I don't know where it got better or off the rails or whatever it is. But then all of a sudden the conversation was like, dude, I like your hair. I like, I, I like this. I like that. And so now it's just kind of like going with the flow, uh, with the flow. And I have Literally. no idea. Why, yeah, I have no idea why I started it. I have no idea where I'm going with it, but it, it is what it is for, at, at least for today, this is working for me. Free flowing is literal in this sense. I love it. I mean, when I see yeah. on pit road, I'm like, I know that's the postman. Cause I look at the hair. Well, I had someone, I had this girl, I, it was funny, somewhere in the process, would have been January of two years ago, so it was pre-COVID, I was at the Chili Bowl, and this this husband and wife, they come down to me, and they don't know me, so a, a lot of times when I'm out at sporting events, people know who I am or whatever it is, and she says, I've got, a, and she'd had a few drinks, okay, and she says, I've got a really weird favor to ask, and I said, okay, what's that? She says, can I run my hands through your hair? And she's like, this is my husband. And he takes his hat off and he's bald. He said, I can't help her with this. I can't help her with it. So we stood there right in the chili bowl and she ran her hands through my hair for a little bit. I'm oh like, well, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a perk of it. So I'll, um, I'll take it all and see where we're at with it. You know, I mean, I don't know. It's all, it's all just cool. But the reaction now is far more positive than it was when I first started it. That's for sure. Well, I've never been to the chili bowl, but I've heard stories. So I guess that's what I can expect when I go to my first chili bowl. There we go. You got you got strange strangers coming up and rubbing their hands through your hair or all kinds of things. No, it's fun stuff. It really is. It's all <laughs> you like the motorsports Buddha. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. I, don't know. I hope it brought them good luck. I hope they their guy won or whatever it was. But um, it's all it's all good. It's all good fun. That's for sure. I love it, man. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that I have you on this week because you are like a Swiss Army knife when it comes to motorsports, media, everything in between. You got Wing Nation, MRN, Plan B Sales. I mean, you're everywhere. You're doing everything. You're an all-around positive guy. And you've been in this business now in motorsports for what? Going on 30-plus years? Is that right? Yeah, it doesn't seem possible, but but we're we're starting to push on that. That's for sure. Um, I was up in Pennsylvania, and it would have been 87 or 88. I started announcing at local dirt tracks up there. And uh, 95, so 26 years ago, I moved to North Carolina to pursue the mm -hmm. dream. So, yeah, it's it's just been an amazing journey, and I love what I do. I mean, it's not a bad gig when you get paid to talk about racing, whether it's right. diecast cars or sprint cars or cup cars. And so I, I love what I do. I, I, I seem to be blessed with high energy, I guess. And um, I just keep right on digging and, uh, you know, just uh, just wh whatever needs to be done. I, I love all forms of motorsports and uh, I'm, I'm very blessed to do what I do. That's for sure. So you mentioned your short track routes and we'll get there. But before we get to the announcing part Ooh. at short tracks, 
How did you get introduced to racing as a young kid from Halstead, Pennsylvania, right? I mean, that is dirt track central, short track central. So how did you specifically get introduced? What is it? Was it a family thing? Did you seek it out yourself? How did it start? Yeah, my dad, uh, greatest father on the planet, we would spend every Friday and Saturday night at the local short tracks. So we would be at uh, Pencan Speedway on Friday night in Susquehanna, Pennsylvania. We'd be up in Binghamton, New York at Five Mile Point Speedway or Kirkwood, New York on Saturday nights. And then uh, as we followed along with the sport, it was the big block modifieds, the dirt modifieds. We would go travel into Tuesday night shows, Sunday night shows. We would go around and I always, I, I loved racing ever since, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, a trio, my, my older brother, my younger sister, and they liked racing. I loved racing. I was, every time my dad went, I went with them. They went most of the time. And so I did all of that. And I was always enthralled by the announcers and it was always like the different styles of whether it was a Jimmy Bevins or Cal Arthur at Penn can or Dusty Doyle at five mile point or Joe Murata up in upstate New York or Jack Burgess or whoever it was. I was always I was always fascinated by the announcers and uh, and I always enjoyed radio. And so it all kind of came together. I used to announce matchbox cars on the living room floor. I used to announce races with matchbox cars. So I don't think when when I proclaimed in uh, 95, well, when I proclaimed in uh, the mid 80s that I wanted to announce races, there was no shocker there. And in 95, when I when I proclaimed that I was moving south to pursue it full time, uh, there was no shockers in the family at all. It's like, what have you been waiting for time to get after it? So I had that passion from my dad as a as a youngster as a kid i remember i was born in 64 i remember a race in 1968 at five mile point speedway uh, i remember just vague vaguely so four years old and i uh, remember as a kid every friday and saturday night i was at the local dirt track and loved it so uh that's where it came from and then always had the announcer thing and i've always loved radio so i kind of was able to put them all together here and, uh, and shake it up and it's turned out pretty well you said you were born in 64. I think my dad was born the same year. So you guys probably watched the same drivers growing up. Did you have a favorite? Well, I, I didn't really. I, ironically, I didn't follow a lot of NASCAR um, at the time. It was all the short track stuff. We would get, but then you got to remember in that era in the 70s, we had the Daytona 500 on TV. Right. And then we had maybe the Southern 500 a month later on the wide world of sports. And so, I mean, I liked the, the Richard Petty's as, as I got into it a little bit more when I was in my college era, I, I became a Bobby Allison fan. I always loved Bobby. My Allison. Dad was too. Really? That's yeah. cool. So, but as I was, as I was doing this, as I was going through life, I, and, and I mentioned that I love radio. And so I had a transistor radio. And I used to listen to um, I used to listen to Cincinnati Reds baseball. You can pick that up. That was on 700 WLW, the big one out of Cincinnati. And I could get the Phillies because I was in the eastern part of Pennsylvania. So I'd listen to it. And I'll never forget one Sunday afternoon. I'm outside and I've got my transistor radio and I got my earbud or earbud. That's what we call it now is an <laughs> earplug man or something. And I heard this on the radio and I'm like, what is this? They're talking about Richard Petty and Benny Parsons and Bobby Ellison. And the nearest I can figure it was a station about 90 miles away um, was MRN, was Motor Racing Network. And so I love radio and uh, it was a chance to listen to more races than just the Daytona 500 and what I could read in my local racing trade papers. And so I actually, and I took a pen, I remember right on the front of the transistor radio and marked where that was 
on the transistor radio so that every time I knew there was a race on and it was staticky and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, the wind had to blow in the right direction. I had to hold my arm up in the air and one foot in the air. But um, <laughs> so I kind of fell in love more so with the sport then. And then once I got to college age, I started going to races at Pocono and that's mm-hmm. kind of when the Bobby Allison, uh, the Bobby Allison uh, passion kind of developed then. But uh, prior to that, it was mostly short track stuff. So when you were working at, at Penn Can, I know you were announcing short track races. Were you also doing some media relations stuff too? Because eventually, and we'll get there, you did some public relations work. But I think I read somewhere at Penn Can you did some media as well. Yeah, what I did at Penn Can was the primary track that I worked at. I worked a little bit at Five Mile Point, my other home track. There was another track in Scranton that's no longer around, Mockatech Speedway. And so what, what it was, you kind of became a jack of all trades. Um, I sold sponsorship at the racetrack. I wrote all the press releases, advanced press releases, stories. I announced the races. I managed some of the advertising budget. And it even got so that I developed the program books. And so I I actually owned my own little business that did program books at the track. So I sold all the advertising, wrote all the content, uh, did a deal with the local photographer, the track photographer. And so, yeah, so I did a lot of writing. Uh, Somewhere in the process, I started writing for Gator Racing News, which was a racing trade paper up in Syracuse, Mm -hmm. New York. And so I was a columnist there. Um, I had my business with my local tracks. I actually owned a preseason with with uh, four other or three other partners. I owned a preseason trade show where we brought all the cars in in March and all the tracks had their schedules there and everything. And so I was very involved with it. I had a couple of corporate contracts, uh, the local Coors distributor, the local Pepsi distributor. I did some social, well, not social media. I did some media for them. This was before social media. You're a busy guy. Media. Yeah. So I, I had all kinds of stuff, but there was no way to, you could add it all together. And I sat there at one time, and this had been the early 90s, like 93 or 94. I added everything up. I said, there's nothing else out there that I'm aware of, and I still need to have a real job. So I got to figure out how to make this thing into my real job. But uh, but it was it was great. I would not trade that experience for anything in the world. It was it was so much fun. And, and lifelong friends that I still have to this day were involved in that era. So it's it's really neat. Yeah, and I know you go to a lot of local dirt track races, short track races. Do you ever get back out to Pencan and kind of rekindle those relationships with the folks? Once in a while I do. What's really kind of uh, a wing nation has put a crimp in that because of traveling mm-hmm. on my off NASCAR weekends, on PRN weekends, on my off weekends, traveling to sprint car races. And then what is also what has put a major crimp in it, and, and I love that Pocono does the double, but with Pocono doing the double, it's uh, and we have an ARCA race usually at six o'clock on Friday night, and so and, and Pencan's a Friday night track. So I haven't been there in two years. Mm. Uh, a buddy of mine actually has taken it over in the last two years, and I and I need to get up there. But just the schedule and the timing and the way things are, I haven't made it up there. And I actually, I actually this year kind of got away from me on everything. But I actually think my brother's still up there in the area, and I think what I'm going to do next year is just take a summer weekend and go up and spend the weekend with him go to Friday night at Pencan, Saturday night at five mile and just kind of rekindle some friendships and, and relive it all. But, um, but it's, it's, it's cool. And I follow along with all that's going on up there. I love, uh, I love what's happening at both of those tracks actually. So you're Pennsylvania born, Pennsylvania bred, and you went to Penn state. So you, you checked off the trifecta. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I went to Penn state. I went there, uh, to be an accountant, um, which is kind that is of not up your alley post, man. No. And, and ironically <laughs> running, running my own little business, the weakness of the business is my accounting skills. And so finally, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I hired an accountant and she's like, you studied to be an accountant. And I said, yeah, how'd that go? And she's like grateful 
uh, representing all of the businesses and individuals that I would have been accounting for had I pursued that further. <laughs> um, but I was so far down the road at Penn State that I was in the business department. So I just went to marketing. And so because that was more people oriented. And right. so actually, I spent from uh, 86 when I graduated to 95. I was a salesman. I sold floor covering for first off in a retail store and then for a distributor. And I did all of that while having all of the racing stuff kind of build up along the way on the side on the weekends and all the other projects. So um, I graduated from Penn State with a marketing degree. Uh, hindsight, I, I have very little that I would ever do anything differently. I probably would have taken a broadcasting or journalism class while I was there. But that's maybe about the only thing that I would look at differently. I had a great time at Penn State and love, uh, love, love being a Penn Stater for sure. I'm sure you would have wanted to, but I think you're doing okay for yourself, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I don't really have any complaints. I really don't. Yeah. It'd have been it'd have been interesting to see what would have happened there, but uh, it's all good. It's 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 rolling along nicely, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm a Michigan State grad, so we're Big Ten brethren in that there respect. Go. There we go. Well, it's you know that's interesting because when I was at Penn State, it was so far back we were independent, and so it was oh, before wow. we joined the Big Ten, and so I don't have like. Like Michigan State, you have that deep-seated hatred for Michigan, for Ohio State, Absolutely. you know, those schools. Mine is more Syracuse, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh. Right. We were an independent school at the time, West Virginia. Um, we were independent. So I don't have, like, we joined the Big Ten, and I'm kind of, meh, it's all right. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to own the Big Ten East. You know, so, I mean, we've got to go through yeah. the Spartans and the, the, the Buckeyes and the Wolverines and everyone. But I don't have that like in college drinking at the games hatred yeah. that uh, that for the Big Ten schools like I do for some of the, like Miami, Syracuse. If those two schools never won another game, it would still be too soon. That's the way I look at it. <laughs> So, yeah, so I, I have that. I have that vibe, but it's just not against the Big Ten schools. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear that. You and you and Striegel, you guys should do bets for whenever Penn State plays Michigan State for basketball or football. Well, there's such both schools are such wild cards. Oh my gosh, just you just don't you just don't even know what to expect, and then you don't even know what to expect the week before the game. You know, I, I mean, you know, we know we're going to lose to Ohio State. That's about the only the only certain thing we have in the season. Same with us. I mean, yeah, yeah. We'll start off against Akron, and then and then every third year they'll take us to a last minute play where we have to pull it out, and yeah. then we'll go and we'll beat Michigan and Michigan State and Indiana and Wisconsin. You know, it's like what and I our big one was uh, Iowa was was our Achilles for a while as mm. well out there. Iowa was always a challenge for us, but you know it's it, it's fascinating. It really is. It's good stuff. Last thing about Penn State, because MSU's got the dairy store, and I should know this because I visited the campus yeah. when I was touring schools. You guys have the creamery, right? That's what right. Penn State's known for? Oh, the creamery. Oh, I can still taste it. And I went up there <laughs> last year. I was up in Port Royal for a race, and I drove uh -huh. over there, and because of COVID, the creamery was shut down. Oh, and I was no. so disappointed. It's it's back open now, Good. but um, it was just the timing of it was July fourth, so we were well into the pandemic. So yeah. um, I need to get back up there and and quality control on that to make sure the creamery is still up to standards that it was in the mid '80s when I was there all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're just doing the Lord's work. It's it's not for our sure. benefit. It's for the greater good. We're a giver. We're givers. We we yes. give to the greater good. You're right. <laughs> That's correct. So you mentioned when you moved down to North Carolina in '95. You know, your entire family and friends basically were saying, OK, well, what took you so long? This was an inevitability, right? It wasn't a because I had a question that was going to be, you know, what was the decision making process like? But it seems like the decision was already made. It was just a matter of when, not if you were going down there. 
Well, I was riding in um, Pennsylvania. Um, I, you know, I had, I had come to the conclusion that racing up there with all of my little accounts was never going to pay all the bills. And so I kind of knew that. I was riding along and there was a radio guy on, uh, on a Wilkesbury Scranton station. And he just was, he was just matter of fact, talking about how simple life was to figure out what you want to do and find someone to pay you for. It. And while there's a real, that's a real simple prospect, yeah, implementing it can be challenging. That's for sure. But for whatever reason, where I was at with life at that point, it just struck me. And I'm like, wow, that's exactly what I need to do. And I want to work in NASCAR and I want to talk about racing and literally riding down the road that day, that one message that must have hit right when uh, I was at a certain spot really kind of triggered it. And then I started looking around and uh, getting into radio with NASCAR was going to be a challenge right off the bat, but getting into PR, especially with the, with the, the short track experience I had getting to PR, there was every team had a PR guy, every track had a PR guy, the Bush teams at the time had PR guys. So, um, there was far more jobs available. And so it would have been 94. Uh, yeah, 1994, I started pursuing that. And uh, that's what ultimately got me down to North Carolina. So it was 03 when you joined MRN, but you had a heck of a career before that. So let, let's dive into that. Uh, I did some intel with some of your brethren at MRN. And I said, you know, I'm having Postman on. I want to know about, you know, what he did before MRN. Is there any, is there anything you guys think I should touch on? And I was told that you were PR reps for not just Kenny Wallace, but also Ricky Rudd. I mean, you talk about two characters, two iconic figures in motorsports back yep. then. And even now, those are in the top 10. And you had both of them. So you must have yep. had a whirlwind of a time. Yeah, my first PR gig was Kenny Wallace. Uh, talk about Throwing uh, into the that, deep end. Yeah, throwing into the deep end. And Kenny and I remain friends to this day. And uh, we... Uh, We'll once in a while defend each other on Twitter or something when when the evil forces are, are circling around us. <laughs> and uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I came down and then uh, I had a deal in '95 that went that the the agency never had the account locked up and the account went away before we even got to Daytona. And so I spent '95 down here just doing odd jobs and meeting people and knocking on doors. So it would have been '96. Uh, Square D company, which was uh, they control electrical control units like breaker boxes and things like that. Mm -hmm. They were sponsoring Kenny Wallace uh, with Philmar Racing, which was at the time or at the time they signed the deal a Nashville based team. They moved to moved to Concord here to North Carolina. And so um, so the first couple of years, I was the PR guy for Kenny Wallace and we traveled around the country. Of course, he's scratching and clawing to try to make a name for himself. I was scratching and clawing and we would go, oh, my gosh, we had one one day where a uh, buddy of mine, Al Robinson up at Dover called and said, Hey, can, can, you know, let square D fund you guys to come in a day early to go to Baltimore to do media. And Kenny and I flew into Baltimore and I got a rental car and we just drove from TV station to TV station, to radio station, to newspaper and uh, had a ball and got laughing. And yeah, we had a lot of moments like that. A lot of fun like that. Traveling with Kenny Wallace is never dull. And no. so we just, we just had a ball. We, you know, we had some success in that he he won a couple of pole positions, uh, had a couple of good runs, one Martinsville run. We ran up in the top five all day. Never, never cleared the hurdle and got a win. But uh, but I wouldn't trade the two years with Kenny. Uh, we just we we literally had a ball and I learned a lot about it. Kenny was so savvy with handling people and everyone loved him. And so you weren't a PR guy managing a guy that everyone didn't like. You were, you know, and, and uh, we had a lot of interaction with Rusty at that time. So that was kind of neat as well. And so that was a fun time working with Kenny. I, uh, I had a really good time doing that for sure.
Kenny gets this reputation, and I part of it's well-deserved, but it's like he's this funny guy that doesn't really care about anything. He's not, not that he's not smart, but he has this reputation of the funny guy that used to be on TV, didn't really have too much NASCAR success, is out dirt racing now. But I want you to speak on that because he's not that type of guy behind the scenes. He is talented. He is very yeah. smart. He's very business savvy, socially savvy, obviously. We've seen him on TV for years. So you saw a side of Kenny Wallace that a lot of people and fans that are listening probably never have and never will see. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's a very talented racer. Remember at this time he was in, uh, he was winning Bush series races. That's right. It seemed like every week uh, he had the red dog number eight car and you took that car to Nashville, to Richmond or to Bristol. And he was unstoppable. I mean, literally drive through the field and Kenny came up through the, you know, Kenny came up, he learned, um, he learned the ranks through the ASA guys. So guys like Dick Trickle and Bob Seneca and Mike Eddy, uh, they taught him well and he was, he was a very savvy racer. He tended, he minded his business really well and that he invested his money and took care of things very, very well. Mm -hmm. Family was always first with Kenny. He was very good with Kim and the girls and, you know, Brandy, Brittany and, um, and let's see, Brandy, Brittany, and there's the middle one too. I think it was. I'm, I'm I've lost one of his kids. Oh, um, it starts yeah. with a B. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, but he was always so um, he was always so um, family oriented. Um, took care of his business, managed it. Very savvy with everything, and a very savvy race car driver. Really good race car driver. His uh, his results on the track didn't reflect. I don't think mm -hmm. how good he was. A lot of times he was with upstart teams in the Cup side. Uh, when he'd get with an established team on the Xfinity side or Bush side, as it was known then, he'd go out and win races on a regular basis. And just a really really good racer. So very very as funny as he is and outgoing as he is, he was also very serious and very savvy about his racing and and his life with his family and, 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 and financially taking care of himself as well and, 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 and saving up. So a lot of yeah. respect for Kenny on the serious side, that's for sure. So I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here, but for all that seriousness and, and the, the unbelievable guy that Kenny is, I'm sure you got some funny ass stories about Kenny working with him in the capacity that you did. You, I mean, you were with him 24, seven, three, six, five, it seems like. So you got to have a good Kenny Wall story for me. Well, that day we went to Baltimore. So when you when you traveled with Kenny Wallace, um, you didn't eat at the better restaurants at the time. Now, Kenny's eating far healthier now. But when you were with Kenny Wallace, it was usually Golden Arches or Burger King. Okay. But we had had a really successful media day in Baltimore and we were driving up around the Chesapeake Bay and we were going to splurge and go to Subway. Um, mm. That was our, Yeah, exactly. So we walk into the subway and it was in an African-American neighborhood and we walk in and the lady behind the counter was a large, gregarious, happy African-American woman. She was just great. And honey, you want this? And honey, you want that? And honey, you want this? And everything. So Kenny and I are going through the line. And so she says, honey, do you want olive oil on your sandwich? And Kenny Cox has said sideways and says, olive oil? Why would I put olive oil on my sandwich? And she says, that's what Aretha Franklin does. Aretha Franklin puts olive oil on her sandwich. And Kenny says, do you know Aretha Franklin? And she's like, no, but I love her music. Right there in the middle of the subway, the two many white guys within a 50 mile radius, Kenny breaks into R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out it. what you mean to me. Right in the middle of the subway, the woman behind 
the counter is dying. Everybody there is dying. And Kenny does that. And he does a chorus of R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And then he gives the, oh, you know, the Kenny Wallace laugh. He <laughs> gives it the laugh. She's dying. Everybody's having a good time. I'm, I'm like, I don't know if this is good or bad at this time. I'm a young PR guy. I guess right. it's good. We're having a good time and a good laugh. And so he gets done singing. Everything kind of settles out. And she says, you didn't answer my question. You want olive oil? And he says, put olive oil on mine and put olive oil on his. If it's good <laughs> enough for Alicia Franklin, it's good enough for us. And we got our bags and out. And we got in the car. We just laughed. And that's the way Kenny was. He impacted, you know, he impacted strangers and people he knew. Uh, those those traveling around with him was always always entertaining, but that was uh, that was one of them that always kind of stands out to me. It was really fun. Him singing R E S P C T in a subway <laughs> somewhere in Northern Maryland. It was it was fun, fun stuff. Uh, as a Marylander myself, I love that story. And also, I mean, I have to ask now: Was olive oil on the sandwich good? Was it delicious? Yeah, it was actually really good. I'm, I've okay. actually become quite the. Uh, I don't know if it was that moment that kind of turned me, but uh, I've actually been quite the connoisseur of olive oil. And uh, so, uh, I yeah, it was it was good on the sandwich. That's for sure. Okay, good. I'm glad we got that under control. <laughs> if I n- next time I go to a subway, I may have to get some olive oil on. I don't well, know. You, you may have convinced me. Worked for Aretha Franklin, so I guess, and, and Kenny Wallace, so I guess it works for us, you know. So <laughs> I liked your Herm laugh, by the way. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get it cooked up. Let me try it again. <laughs> 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 That's better. I love that. So you go from yeah. Kenny to Ricky yeah. Rudd. I mean, personality-wise, the two seem a little bit different uh, on the track. They're still as tenacious as can be, yeah. but going from Kenny to Ricky probably had to tone some stuff down a little bit. Well, it, they're two totally different personalities, as, you, as you're right. They're two totally different personalities, both very savvy and serious, and there were some similarities. But, like, Kenny, like, when we were running inside the top ten and we'd get a top ten finish, she'd be like, PR guy, better send out the press release, get me on TV, get me this, get me that. Yeah. You know, Ricky Rudd would finish second and be like, let's not say a word about second. That's terrible. Oh, my God, let's <laughs> not, you know. And so Ricky, Ricky was um, – Ricky was very savvy with his racing. Now, I will say this, um, and I know probably every PR person that's been in this sport for the last 25 years, and I can say my experience with both Ricky and both uh, Ricky and Kenny, um, I wouldn't drop them, dra- trade either one of them for, for either driver. They were very yeah. different. But the one thing with Ricky, Ricky had such a respect for everybody. He had a respect for his PR guy. He had a respect for his motor coach driver. He had a respect for every reporter out there. And he built relationships with reporters. And so, you know, he just, he understood that the job as a race car driver was wheeling a race car. The job of a race car driver was marketing to sponsors. The job of a race car driver was all of his safety gear and taking care of his fitness, but the job of his race car driver was media relations. And that was what he was being paid for. And so it wasn't a a roll your eyes. This is something that I have to do. It was, this was one of the tasks that he needed to do. And he took it very seriously. He, as we got acquainted with each other, uh, like on Monday or Tuesday, this goes back to, to, to very early in email days, but we would take the next track and he wanted me to, uh, fax over to him his stats from that track so he could study him and say, okay, I remember like four years ago I finished third. And then on Friday morning when we hold court with reporters, he'd say, yeah, I remember a couple of years ago when I finished third here in that race, we had the car do this and the car do that. Wow. He was very, very savvy and very respectful. The first time I sat down with him, we met in Huntersville uh, here in, in the Charlotte area at a little diner for lunch. And I'd, I'd been around him as a PR person, but I'd never really known him. 
Um, and we sat down and talked a little bit, chit-chatted about family and everything. And he said, so what is your job? What are you being paid for? And I said, I'm being paid solely for media relations. I'm not being paid for hospitality. I'm not being paid to carry your helmet. I'm not being paid for anything else. I said, I'll work with you on it. He said, no, no, no. He said, you then are responsible for media. I don't need you doing anything else. I just wanted to know so that my, my coach driver, Donald at the time, could handle getting my uniform here right. and getting him to hospitality and everything. He wanted so, to be respectful of you. He was very respectful. And, and, and everything we did was respectful. Um, traveling across the country to various appearances and doing things for Texaco Havila when I was on those programs, uh, it was he was very respectful. And as as was Kenny Wallace, like I said, I think there's the that's the that is the overriding characteristic that they both had is they both had huge respect for me, huge respect for my job, huge mm-hmm. respect for the reporters I was dealing with. They get and it. that made that made my life a whole lot easier too. You know, so uh, great experience. And and with Ricky in uh, in 2000. Uh, it was 2000 or 2001. We ran right to the finish, toe to toe with Jeff Gordon for the championship. Gordon ended up winning the championship, but that's when Ricky was in the Texaco Haviland car for Robert right. Yates. And through that, I got to work with Ricky, but I also spent a lot of time with Robert Yates, with Doug Yates, uh, with Michael McSwain, Fatback, the old crew chief over there, that's was right. still a dear friend of mine. And it was just you, I, I met some of the really, really neat people along the way. The the Ricky Rudd era uh, was just a phenomenal time in life for sure. So you said you still talk to Kenny a little bit. Have you talked to Ricky lately? Do you guys still chat every now and then? Once in a while, he'll come into MRN to do a recording session. Mm-hmm. Um, I never was one of those people. Um, like when I had, like when I had Ricky's number in my cell phone because I was working with him. Um, I had it in my cell phone when Ricky and I got done working together, and I had no reason I would remove people from my cell phone. No, uh, I just I didn't want to be that guy. Uh, and, and, and I think, and I don't know that that works well with everybody. I think everyone likes to have, you know, maybe, maybe, but that really served Ricky well, because after he retired, he has lived a very private life. And so he doesn't need his old PR guy reaching out to him. Uh, if Ricky needed something from me, uh, he knows exactly where I'm at. And mm-hmm. I think if I really had to dig in and root and gouge, I could probably find him. Um, we've ran into each other a few times, um, at, uh, at MRN. Whenever he does something in MRN when we're recording a podcast series or something, the producer will give me the courtesy and say, hey, Ricky's coming in Tuesday at 2, you know, do you, uh, you know, and I will always pop in. And we'll sit yeah. and visit. He's great. He's doing great. His son Landon's doing great. Mm-hmm. But it's we're, we're different lives. Our lives are different now. And um, and it's 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 all good. So it's uh, it's neat. But uh, so much respect for Ricky, for sure. Landon, his son, I think he's in New York. Is he in the music industry? He is in the graphic design industry. He's okay. in New York, and he's he's high end graphic design for video production. So, okay. um, the you know it's it's this, and he's doing really really well. And so Ricky and Linda, they'll fly to New York on a regular basis. They go up yeah. there. They love the city, and they'll go up there. And he's doing really high end graphic design work for studios. So I think it's I think it's almost for lack of a better example like like we have these cartoon shows like the simpsons is the yeah, old yeah, one yeah. uh you know the family guy i don't think he's working on those but i think maybe there's some some mtv type productions or, uh-huh. or maybe even now uh whatever whoever producing some of those i think he does contract work for them and i i guess from everything ricky says he does really really well so it's it's kind of neat it really is well i asked because oddly enough one of my really good friends lives in the city 
doesn't know anything about NASCAR. His extent of NASCAR is he's friends with me. And he comes up to me one day. He goes, hey, you know a guy named Ricky Rudd? I go, a guy named R- Yes, yeah. I know Ricky yeah. Rudd. He goes, oh, well, my girlfriend's friends with his son. And I'm like, yep. what? And I freaked out. So that was like a little, yeah. like, wow, small world type moment. Yeah, one of those small world moments. Yeah, Landon, and, and he's up there in the city. He's up there. And yeah. Just uh, according to Ricky and Linda, last time I talked to him, he's doing really, really well, which is neat. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. They're good. They're good folks. That's for sure. Yeah, that's good to hear. Okay, so you're doing PR for Kenny and Ricky during this whole time, though. As you said, you know, growing up as a kid in Pennsylvania, you're very attracted to radio. You want to be mm-hmm. on the radio. You want to be calling races. You had done it at your local short track, and now you're in the sport. You're making a name for yourself in North Carolina but you're not doing your quote-unquote dream yet and being on radio. So for those seven, eight years when you're working with Kenny and Ricky, did you still have your eye on getting with MRN and doing something on radio, and were you planting those seeds? Yeah, absolutely. You get to know people when you're doing PR. David Hyatt at the time was the president of MRN, and I got to know David. And somewhere along the way, um, I said, hey, if you're ever doing an audition, I I wouldn't mind trying uh, to do one. And so – um, and then I did Ricky Rudd's PR for a couple years. And um, then I I was doing IWX Motor Freight. Let me see. Let me get this right now. What was I doing? Well, you know what? I was doing IWX Motor Freight. And I, I guess that's how it started. I was doing that. It would have been the late 90s. And I was listening to MRN. And I said, I'm going to put together an audition tape. David has always told me to put together an audition tape. Put together an mm-hmm. audition tape. So I so I literally, I was coming back on a Saturday. I forget where the race was at. Coming back. And um, I went to Radio Shack. And I bought a little cassette recorder and a little microphone. And I went out to Concord Speedway and produced my own audition tape. Stood down in the corner there and called the races. Well, as I was doing this... Um, a cameraman buddy of mine came up to me and said, what are you doing here? And I said, I'm making an audio tape. And he said, um, for what? I said, I'm going to send it into MRN. I want to go with MRN. And he said, have you ever done radio or TV? I said, I've done radio, you know, music radio, country music radio. I did a little station up in Binghamton, New York for overnights for a year or two when I was up there in between all of the trying to make all the ends work or ends meet work or ends meet, if you will. And so he said, have you ever done TV? And I said, no, I've never done anything. Well, he was working for a local television production company. And the guy that ran it's guy named Steve Gant, dear, dear friend of mine. He got into an argument with one of his talent that night in the booth. Hmm. And Randy said, well, I'm just leaving. And Steve said, well, leave. And so Ted, my mutual friend, says, do you want to do TV tonight? And I said, well, sure. I guess I can make this sample tape, but I guess doing TV might be a little bit better. No well, way. Yeah, exactly. So here I am. I'm a fast talking Yankee. Okay. And Steve Gant, the guy that's running this thing um, around the track productions was the company It was on Time Warner Cable. Steve is Kannapolis, born, bred, drawl, slow talking, wonderful, wonderful guy. And so Ted introduces me. And Steve is like, Steve is just kind of, well, I don't know. He said, hey, I don't want to walk up and down the stands. He said, so you can join us in the booth at the beginning. He said, and then walk down to Victory Lane after the first race and then just stay down there and do our Victory Lanes. And I said, that's great. So we got in the booth. Woody Kane, who is another dear friend of mine and one of the producers at MRN. I met Woody that night. That's how that friendship evolved. It was Woody, Steve Gant, and I in the booth. And so I, we get going. We do the opening. 
And then we call the first part of the first race. And Steve, we get to the commercial break. And Steve looks over to me and says, how much TV have you done? And I said, well, it's probably about 12 minutes now. And he <laughs> says, you're kidding me. He says, this sounds really, really good. And I said, well, I feel comfortable. I don't know what I'm doing here, but I feel comfortable. He yeah. said, we're going to change what we're doing. He says, go down and do victory lane, but hustle back up here because we want you in the booth. And so I started doing that. That had been 98 or 99. And so I had quite a bit of audition tape there. And then at the same time, I got the deal with Texaco Havlin. That was 2000. And so that was rolling along well. So I, I, I kind of the MRM thing was was not on the front burner, but it was building the relationship with David Hyatt, getting to know Joe Moore and Barney Hall and right. Jim Phillips and Winston Kelly and guys like that and just getting to know them. But then after a couple of years with Ricky Rudd, um, I knew that deal was going to go away because Texaco Havlin was going to Chip Ganassi with Jamie McMurray um Elliot Sadler was coming over with MRN and so the challenge of the PR world at that time was about every couple of years you ended up in your own silly season mm -hmm. and so I was kind of like you know what this might be the time and so it would have been 2002 um I was at Pocono and I ran into David Hyatt and he said hey I have an audition in New Hampshire next week during the modified race would you like to do that and I said, sure, I would love to do it. He said, I'll put you in a billboard in turn number three. We're just going to do a few laps of the modified race. We'll get you on tape and we'll go from there. And so I did the audition. Ironically, in that audition class, um, we had Barney and Joe in the booth. And what they had was Ryan Horn and a guy named Gary Denko on pit road. Ryan is my boss at MRN to this yep. day. Yep. So his audition obviously went well because he is there. Gary worked some races with us. His didn't go quite as well. But in turns one and two was Kyle Ricky, who remains with us to this day. Uh -huh. and I was in three and four. So we had an audition class, and 75% of us are still with the network. That would have been in wow. 2002. And so that's who it was. And then so we get to 2003. The Texaco Haviland deal had gone away. I was with an agency in Charlotte. Wonderful folks. Performance PR Plus. And I was able to get the Great Clips account. Uh, with Casey Kane in the uh, Bush series at the time, might have been, it probably wasn't nationwide yet. He was running for Aikens Motorsports, number 38 car. And so I started with that, and David said, I can get you, it was either 15 races for $12,000 or 12 races for $15,000. I'm like, ay, ay, ay. It's 2002. I have two kids, and I get a job offer for my dream job that no way is going to pay the bills. And so I, um, I went into Ron Miller, the guy that owns Performance PR Plus. I said, look, um, I, you know, this is my dream job. How do I make this work? And he said, well, who all have you worked for? And I said, this, 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 and this. He says, just shoot an, shoot an email to everybody and tell them what's going on. And I'll tell you, I sent an email out and I said, I really want to do this, but I need alternative income. And everybody that I had worked for in the past said, I can have you do some hospitality for me. I can have you do some ghostwriting. I can have you do this. I can have you do that. I can have you do, I was, I was writing a trucker's newsletter for IWX Motor Freight. I can use you here. And so that first year I was able to cobble enough stuff together to get over the hump the first year. And then second year it picked up a little bit more. And then by the third year, because what happened then, see, I was fortunate that I was in Charlotte. In Charlotte, was a hub city for U.S. Airways, still is a hub city for American Airlines, which is what it was. But on pit road at the time, 
Winston Kelly was one of our pit road guys. Well, Winston, yeah. this is pre Hall of Fame. Winston's now the executive director of the Hall of Fame, the NASCAR Hall of Fame, but he worked for Duke Power. And so whenever there was a hurricane that would hit the Southeast, Winston, Winston had to stay home. And so like my second year, might have been the first year even when I had that 12 races or 15 races, if not my first year, my second year, every other week, we had one of those hurricane seasons where every other week, Winston was calling off. I was in a hub city for US Air so I could get anywhere in a, in a hurry. And my deal with everybody that I knew, that I worked with, that I was doing stuff with was if David Hyatt called me on a Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, I'm going to the airport. Yeah. And so that year, what started, I, I think that might have been like 22 races that second year. And it ended up being like 35 races because wow. of being in the right spot and Winston's schedule and everything else. And then Man. over the course of time, Jim Phillips retired. Adam Alexander went to television. Danielle Fry decided that she didn't want to work in radio. And so it was Winston, then Alex Hayden, then myself. And I was able to get in full time rather quickly, actually, for MRN standards. So it was pretty neat to, to get up and running like that. That is an incredible story. Mix of being at the right place at the right time, yeah. developing relationships with a lot of people, which, I mean, we all know is a big thing. And, and I'm told that as kind of a young person trying to break myself into yeah. the industry here. Um, there you go. But, I mean, yeah. it, it's very true because like you said, it's your dream job and, and you were going to drop everything to do it. But financially, you wouldn't be able to make that work alone. So what did you do? You had a Rolodex of contacts. You hit them up. You had a great relationship with them. You had helped them out in the past and they helped you out. And that's what made you get to where you are. Right. It was Performance PR Plus. I did DuPont Hospitality. It was IWX Motor Freight. I did some, I did actually the year Travis Quapple, 2003, when Travis won the championship, I was the PR guy for the team while doing MRN. Wow. I was a contracted PR guy. I love how Concord, you remember it all still yeah, today. Yeah. Concord Speedway. Had a great little deal with Concord Speedway. Had a kid in, the, the talk about small world, had a kid in Dushore, Pennsylvania that wanted to go ARCA racing. His name, L.W. Miller. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So LW, his dad, Wayne Miller, one of one of my my circle of people that allowed me to do what I what I do. LW, I was writing press releases for LW Miller. I started doing stuff when he was running street stocks at Dundee. Man, and then I moved crazy. to North Carolina. Yeah, I moved to North Carolina and nothing really came of it. We stayed in touch. We stayed in touch. It was a period where he was running his modified, the smart modified tour. He had gotten a ride with Sammy Kershaw in the Bush series. And he wanted someone to write press releases for him. And so his dad paid me to do all of this. So put it all together. Oh, L.W. Miller, by the way, is now married to Kelly Earnhardt. It's exactly. Kelly Earnhardt Miller. That's and right. so L.W. is Junior's right-hand guy up at Junior Motorsports. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so all of these individuals pitched in a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit over here. And through just, just kind of some faith in that this is going to work out and everyone said they would help. I got to the end of the year and was still above water. And then the second year and third year, as I said, things started to pick up better with MRN. So it, it was amazing. But but I look at those Wayne Millers and LW Millers and Concord Speedway, which is no longer around, and IWX Motor Freight. I mean, mm -hmm. man, I'll tell you what, if those guys if those guys hadn't, uh, hadn't stepped up, I, I, I still would have taken the dream job, but I'm not right. sure what it would have looked like. Yeah, definitely would not have been as easy to get there as it was. Yep. So that, yep. that that's a testament to your character, though, that you were able to keep those relationships going and everything like that. I will say too, you know, throughout this whole journey, 
I mean, puberty must have done you well because you got the voice of a god. You really do. Like p- people always say, "Oh, you got a voice for radio. You got a face for radio, and your voice is good too." That's that me. type of thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I was told that in college, and I worked at my radio station too. But you have the pipes yeah. of a god. W- when did you develop those, and when did you know that you had a gift in your voice? I have no idea. I I, I develop them is a funny term because I never really have developed them. I just. Uh, it's the voice that I, the, the God-given voice. My dad had a booming voice, never used it for anything other than barking at us kids when we were out of line, <laughs> you know? So he had a booming voice, um, but never really developed it. When I was a kid, I sang a lot. I, I did some some stuff in music in high school and college yeah. and everything. But, uh, and, and, and like I said, but never did anything. Really, I did some country music radio out of college at one point. And probably that's the first time I used the voice and then started the track announcing and everything. But there was no development. I just I just am, am blessed with with what the good Lord gave me, I guess. You know, it's pretty it's pretty neat, really. That it's it, I find it. I, I love the fact that the passion that I have for talking about racing matches up with the voice that I have. I can, you know, dad and loving racing and my energy for it. I can take a little bit of credit for developing the passion. Mm-hmm. I take no responsibility other than just appreciate the blessing of the voice because that's that's a, it's 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 a God given it's it's a God given gift. It really truly is. No, that, that's very well said. And so this MRN gig when you started it, right? Oh three, two thousand two, when you started, you know, auditioning and and getting the pieces rolling and everything. Fast forward now, what are we, 17, 18 years later? You have seen everything and anything that this sport can give you. But the thing that I want to know your perspective on is you were in the sport every single week talking to the drivers at every single track with the teams at its very, very peak, the mid to late 2000s in terms of viewership, finances, when everything was coming in. I mean, people were turning sponsors away. And that does not happen nowadays. So you are in it at its very, very peak. I'm always curious to ask people that worked in the sport or were competing in the sport at that time, what was that time like? It was crazy. It was crazy. I'll never forget. I'm, I, I, I continue to this day. Another, another part of the whole puzzle was Charlotte Motor Speedway. In 98, I started doing the summer shootout out of right. Charlotte, and I continued. I'm 24 years into the summer mm-hmm. shootout. I still on Tuesday nights to do, the, do, do that. And so somewhere in the process of this boom period, I found myself in a rain delay. Talk about being in a neat spot. A rain delay in the announcer's booth at Charlotte Motor Speedway, two people, Humpy Wheeler and Steve Post. I mean, talk about wow. Talk about wow moments. That that booth oh, yeah. actually, yeah. I, I spent that booth up there at the top of Charlotte Motor Speedway. I spent a lot of time with the great Ken Squire, my all-time number one mentor, and Humpy Wheeler, and Humpy and I sat there, and they were building the stands, I think, over turn number two, and Humpy was sharing with me. He said, yep, and we'll continue down the backstretch. He said, and there'll be a day down the road when this track will be totally circled with grandstands. And we all, the projections saw that. Uh, Everything was leaning in that direction. Every seat they could build, they were sold, and it was chaos. It was insane. They wanted a Bristol times three. Right, absolutely. And it it was crazy to think about it and it didn't even seem crazy when he was saying that it was like yeah i could see that happening because they just built turn number two grandstands and they all sold out you know they were building in turn four and all sold out and and you know it just it was that boom cycle that we had in the sport and and i don't know it was it was a wonderful time um 
you know, you look at it, the creature comforts of it, um, getting up at 5.30 in the morning to get into the racetrack to beat traffic, you know, and, and doing PR and stuff. You'd be there and I would work on all kinds of projects to stay till nine or 10 o'clock to allow traffic to clear before I got out. Yeah. Um, that's just what we did. I don't think, I think, I think now I'd probably whine about it a little bit, but um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just what we did and it was an amazing time. And so we went through that phase and then we went through the, 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 the scaling back of that, the downturn and, but, but the whole time, I mean, even, and, 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 you know, we've established already that I'm a glasses overflowing person. So I'm not <laughs> one of those, whoa, am I, uh, we're taking seats out of racetracks because when you still look at the base of the sport, the sport is still largely popular and hugely popular. And they're, you know, set aside the NFL, you know, and, and, you know, the other sports have had different ups and downs, like your baseball, your basketball, your hockey. Not many of them would trade places with us, even when we kind of peaked down or we went down a little bit. So um, even during that period, um, it was it was just kind of an adjustment that we needed to make because we had such robust growth and we kind of kind of assumed it was going to last forever and nothing lasts forever whether it's whether it's our popularity whether it's the NFL's popularity or anything else and so consequently I think um, you know it was just a fascinating time but that boom time my gosh uh, you're right because teams were turning sponsors away you know I mean teams it's were crazy. negotiating yeah teams were negotiating between sponsors and oh that's a that's a little too small for me. You know, a major primary sponsor uh, was a little too small for me. I mean, I'll never forget the, the rumor when the Aflac deal came about with Carl Edwards. The rumor was $26 million, and nobody ever said, no, that's not true. You know, so, I mean, it was an amazing time, but just it, it, it was what it was, and, and it was a great time, but it, was, but it was a fun time to be part of the sport, that's for sure. Well, it's been a fun time talking to you, and I want to hit on a few more things. You've been so generous sure. with your time, but I want to get to a couple more things that you specifically do because this is about you, right? We didn't, we haven't even talked about Wing Nation yet, a Legend <laughs> Series summer shootout, like you mentioned, Plan B sales. You're in the freelance voice talent business, which is a surprise to nobody. Simply <laughs> better living. I mean, we didn't even get to any of this, so let's try to run through the gamut relatively quickly. Right. Right. Uh, Wing Nation, first of all, with Ashley Stremme and Aaron Evernham. Uh, also airs on Mav TV. It's on MRN every week. That's your sweet spot because I can tell, you know, you get jazzed up when you're calling races on pit road for Cup, Xfinity, and trucks. But sprint cars and dirt track racing, that's your sweet spot. That's what you grew up loving, and you still love it today. Yeah, 2011, uh, 2010, um, MRN needed a little content for our website because we had websites that we didn't even know what we were doing in 2010. <laughs> and so they had bought a racing site called Racing One, and the number two chat room was World of Outlaws. So we started a World of Outlaws report in 2010. I did that by myself. That was the year of the Knoxville Nationals, the 50th Knoxville Nationals. The show went well. The World of Outlaws report went well. Kendra Jacobs, my original co-host on Wing Nation, we decided to do a one-hour special. We did it. The numbers were great. And in 2011, Wing Nation appeared, covering all of Wing Sprint Cars. And we've been doing MAV TV shows. We do live shows. We'll be out at the Knoxville Nationals four nights yep. of live stage shows. Uh, we were, you know, it, it's just, it's crazy. Uh, so much fun. I love Wing Sprint Cars, and the uh, Sprint Car world is phenomenal. Matter of fact, uh, uh, this weekend, uh, that as, as we're recording this, I'm headed to Eldora for the That's Kings right. Royal. Uh, just as much to be race fan as anything else. So I love my sprint cars and I love what Wing Nation has been. That's for sure. Yeah, it's awesome. I can tell just the energy. It's it's infectious when you talk about that stuff. And then also from one diecast collector to another, 
Plan B Sales, you got a dream job in that too, man, talking about diecast all the time. Yeah, so Ricky Stenhouse Jr. says he's going to sign autographs at a place on Commercial Drive in Concord. I'm like, I drive by Commercial Drive every day. Where is he going to decide diecast cars? I have no idea what this is. Commercial Drive is a half a mile from my house. Okay, and so I drive down the hill, and it's a warehouse. And I'm like, what in the world is this? And it's Plan B Sales, which was at the time a distributor of diecast cars. That's The right. distribution model in diecast cars is crazy because in a lot of industries, there's manufacturer, which would be Lionel. There's distributor, which would be Plan B Sales. And there's retail, which would be Joe's diecast shop. Uh-huh. The diecast world, you can buy from Lionel, you can buy from a distributor, you can buy oh, from I know a dealer, <laughs> you can go across the street at the racetrack and buy yep. from the black market, you can go anywhere. So Brent, the guy, and I walk in and I'm like, what is this? And he said, we're a diecast. Well, I actually walked in and then Brent, the boss, wasn't there. And a week later, I had an appointment to come and see him. And he says, hey, I'm thinking about something. He says, I'm thinking about taking this retail and I need kind of a voice, someone to do some diecast reviews and everything else. And I said, let's give it a whirl. And... I'm, I don't know. I think we're in like eight years of doing this. It's, wow. it's insane. The reason I know that is like I just had a Facebook memory from like seven years ago of going out to dinner with everybody from Plan B Sales. And I've been doing stuff for probably a year since then. So, yeah, wow. this thing literally around the corner, just been a tremendous client where I'm kind of a spokesman for them. I do a weekly diecast review show Tuesday at two on their Facebook page. Yeah. And uh, the diecast world's fascinating. It really is. It's really, really fun. And what a, another blessing that just kind of right place at right time, I guess, is where, where it worked out. Just as, an, as a quick aside. So, like, do you get first dibs on all these cool die casts and stuff? Do, do you need to be my plug from now on? <laughs> I do. I don't think I do. I um, The funny thing about it is, is the die cast I collect or the only the only die cast I collect are the ones that I'm involved with. Like, I've got a great Square D, Kenny Wallace collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm working on my Ricky Rudd collection. So, I don't really... I, I'm not really into like I respect and love diecast collectors for the latest greatest, but I kind of tend to stick to my story with my diecast yeah. collecting. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have the inside line on anything over there when it comes to those. That's uh, that's some tough sledding when it comes to to the the Chase Elliott Hooters car or whenever yeah. Kevin Harvick does something unique with the Bush colors on the car. Yeah. Uh, those cars sell pretty good for sure. Yeah, yeah, I believe it. So you do that on Tuesday afternoons, and as you mentioned, <laughs> Tuesday nights during the summer. Summer shootout, baby. Charlotte Motor Speedway, Legends Cars. That's been fun because you've been doing it for so long now. And it's interesting because you get to see a lot of young, up-and-coming drivers that once cut their teeth on the Legends short track and now are Cup Series superstars. It's amazing. It really is. It's so much fun to talk and watch kids like Ben Rhodes and David Reagan and and uh, and Cas Grala was one of my favorites. Bubba Wallace was Bubba Wallace was a greatly talented. Did Joey Logano do it too? Uh, Joey Logano did it yeah, as yeah. well. And just amazing, the Dylan boys race there. I mean, it's just amazing. And one of the funny things about it is, is that like at Charlotte Motor Speedway, when uh, I don't get to the pits as much as a good announcer should, because when it is, when it falls, when I do get to the pits, it's all these little kids running around. Hi, Mr. Post. Hi, Mr. Post. Hi, Mr. Post. You know, and so I've had a couple of them when we get on MRN radio where they'll say, well, Mr. Post, it's this. I said, okay, we've got to ditch the Mr. Post now. I appreciate the respect. <laughs> I love the respect, but I love that gig. And what I love about it is, is that we're doing Tuesday nights this year. We're doing it on uh, on Track Pass on NBC, on, on uh, their NBC Sports Gold. Mm-hmm. And the thing of it is, is that the statistics show, and I don't know which ones they are, but there are a number of drivers that I'm out there watching on Tuesday night that I will be 
broadcasting races for on Saturday and Sunday for afternoon, sure. five or six years down the road, because in every era of the summer shootout, there's been those guys. And so why would we think that there's not those guys now? It's been phenomenal. And I like the bond that I have with guys like Bubba or Daniel Hamrick or guys like that. Yeah. Uh, we can always, if, if we always run out of things to talk about, we can always talk about the summer shootout because it was a special, special time for those guys and a special time for me as well. And it continues to be, I love it. 24 years strong. And uh, as long as they keep inviting me, I'm going to keep going back on Tuesday nights. Wow. 24 years. That's incredible. And, yeah. and even too, like you said, though, you have relationships with all these guys, not just from when they got into the national series, but way before that was even a conversation. So as a pit reporter at MRN, not to sound cliche, but relationships are everything. And to know that you have those drivers trust. I mean, these are big name drivers, right? That yeah. goes a long way in terms of getting the content that you need for MRN. It's kind of funny because sometimes they recognize the voice from summer shootout, but they don't see the face there. Uh -huh. And they recognize the voice for MRN. And I'll run up to him. My favorite one was like Drew Dollar, who's, who's running in the Arca series uh -huh. and running some truck series races. I go up and I didn't get a chance to engage and talk with him before the interview. So I come right up and he gets this quizzical look on his face. He's like, oh, it's it's the guy. Exactly. That's what it was. And he gave me a great <laughs> answer. And we got done. He said, I didn't know what you look like. I've been listening to you forever. I You now summer shootout and everything. And so I love <laughs> that kind of that aspect of it as well. I think that's kind of those those moments like that were uh, – where um, where it's 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 just good stuff where that relationship is in play yeah and uh, as I watch these as I watch these kids and and, and young man make their way up the ladder it's it, it, it's the best seat in the house for watching all of this it really truly is probably a mix of flattery and also oh my god they've been listening to me forever I'm really old type of stuff right yeah. when is this stick going to run out and I'm gonna have to get a real <laughs> job that's my big fear that's my big fear so <laughs> <laughs> well I'm I know a guy to call when you need a replacement two more things the freelance voice talent business you MC stuff audio books uh hosting hospitalities whatever you need literally whatever you are the man for the job stevepostcommunication.com shoot me Absolutely. a note there yeah i um uh, yeah it's been really neat i've done everything from atv watercraft videos a crc just did a project where their their brake clean product is celebrating 50 years and i voiced over the video for that i had a guy from a south carolina groundskeeper golfing association reach out this week he's sending me a script next week for a podcast Love they it. do for for golfing groundskeepers. So, um, yeah, I'm, it's it's all over the map and then the racing stuff too. So uh, it's uh, a fortune. I'm very fortunate with that. And I thought a NASCAR podcast was too niche. All right. Uh, wow. <laughs> golfing yeah. groundskeepers. I didn't know that that existed, yep. but okay. It's out there. It's out there. <laughs> yes, it clearly is. All right. Well, uh, I guess last question, how much longer are we going to grow the hair or is it just kind of a vibe thing? You're just going to feel it out. I'm just going to feel it out. We're just going to go. We're just going to go with it. Davey, one other thing, talking about all the things I do, and yet everything that I do, none of those that I do is my favorite announcing gig that I have. I have in the last three years picked up indoor auto racing up in the Northeast, and we go into arenas in Allentown, Atlantic City, and Syracuse, TQ Midgets. And so for that, my job is the master of ceremonies from the circus. The greatest show in the world. I run oh, around. 
I get, I run around, I get, I get hacked off drivers. I get happy drivers. I get the crowd doing the chicken dance and, the, and, uh, and, and air guitaring. We got the big screen, we've got the lights. And that to me is the most fun. So I, that's what I do during the winter time when I have a few off weekends. So uh, indoor auto racing up in the Northeast, we got, we got COVIDed out last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, uh, the guy just reached out to me. And uh, Lenny Sammons is the guy who runs it. He runs Area Auto Racing News. And he said, are you on again this year? I said, that's your question. I'll be there if you invite <laughs> me. So uh, so I love that. What I love about that is the reaction from the fans, the immediate reaction from the fans that we oh, get. Yeah. And that's because this Eat is such that. a – yeah, this is such a passion sport, and I love the passion of the fans. And where the radio, we get a little bit of it. The track announcer, we get a little bit. That, I'm in the middle of the chaos when two drivers are throwing helmets at each other. I'm in there trying to get interviews, the crowd screaming, and I love it. So, uh, But it's all about passion. Obviously, passion has served me well with what I do, mm-hmm. and the sport is such a passion-driven sport that I love uh, every aspect of it. But my indoor stuff, if, 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 if from a favorite perspective, that's my favorite gig that I have. That's, that's cool stuff. Well, you took the words right out of my mouth. You talk about passion. Your passion has shined through in this chat. I thank you so much for it. I've learned a lot about you, and I hope the people listening have too because there's more to meets the eye to you than just on pit road for MRN. You have, you've done an incredible service to motorsports for over 30 years, and I'm looking forward to the next 30 and hopefully working with you for some of them. So you better enjoy the Kings Royal this weekend. I, I want to get out there at some point and simply better living. That's what we're doing, Steve. Simply better living, but before I go to the Kings Royal, I've got a race to announce at Millbridge. I got to go out to Millbridge. Of course you do. Yes, of course I do. Then we'll go to the Kings. I'm blessed. I'm very blessed. Simply better living, Davey. I appreciate the time. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. You got it, man. And we're back. Big big thank you to the postman for giving me so much of his time. Uh, he's going to be away for the next couple weeks, so I, I sent him a note. I said, "Hey, you want to get this done?" He's like, "Yeah." What about tomorrow? I'm like, "Great, let's do it." So we did it, and I'm glad we did. So, Steve, Mr. Post, as I will not call you, thank you so much for your time, man. Much appreciated. Can't wait to see you soon, hopefully. Let's briefly preview the races upcoming this weekend. Cup Series and Xfinity Series and the Modified Tour will be up in New Hampshire. New Hampshire Motor Speedway for the one race a year that NASCAR goes to now. Obviously, Vegas has her second weekend. So we got the Foxwoods Resort Casino 301 on Sunday. Brad Keselowski's the defending winner. I personally don't think that what you see on Sunday is going to really translate to anything you see for the rest of the season. It's a unique track, one mile, flat all around. Nothing really is going to compare. I haven't looked at the tire compounds for this week. Maybe they're the same for Richmond. I know that they have been in the past, but I wouldn't take too much stock in what you see. I personally think... The viewing attraction of the weekend is going to be on Saturday night. SRX at Nashville, the sixth race of the inaugural season, sixth and final. Chase Elliott's running in it with his dad, Bill, for the second time in the last 10 years, maybe second time ever. Haley Deegan's back in it. Paul Tracy's probably going to be out for blood, trying to wreck Haley, wreck Ernie, wreck everybody. Tony Stewart's probably going to win the championship. I'm excited for this one. Not just because it's Nashville Fairgrounds, not just because Chase Elliott's there, but because this is the culmination of a great, great series. And we talked about it at length on the Front Stretch pod this week because our head honcho, Tom Bowles, has been working hand-in-hand with CBS, with SRX, for all these weekends. He's been on the ground working hand-in-hand with the team, and he dives into that a little bit, so I encourage you guys to check that out as well after you listen to this. 
But he he hit on a lot of stuff and how SRX has has become this really, really big deal. Kind of honestly bigger than people thought it might be. And he's been at the center of it. So I encourage you guys to check that out. I will definitely, definitely be watching the SRX finale in addition to the modified Xfinity and Cup Series races at New Hampshire. Look nuts of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. Former guest on the podcast, Dawson Cram, is making his Xfinity Series debut this weekend for Mike Harmon Racing, so congrats to Dawson. Kyle Larson inked a contract extension with Hendrick Motorsports through 2023. The big deal here, though, he got a lot of sponsorship to boot. HendrickCars.com is going to sponsor him for 35 races in 2022 and 23, and they're going to sponsor him outside of NASCAR in his other dirt racing ventures. So that's a big deal for Kyle Larson. He ain't going anywhere. Christopher Bell's gonna run the Xfinity race for JGR this weekend. Rich Mar Florist and Mayhew Tools have sponsored Josh Balicki for this weekend. Spencer Boyd's gonna drive for Jimmy Means racing in Xfinity. Horizon Hobby is sponsoring Michael McDowell in the Cup Series for this weekend. Michael Annette, he missed the race at Atlanta at the last second. He's also missing New Hampshire because he's got a stress fracture in his foot going to have some surgery, miss the next race. Hopefully we'll be back for Watkins Glen, and he has received a medical waiver by NASCAR. So if he's qualified for the playoffs, he will be in ready to go. Patrick Emerling, modified tour points leader. He's going to drive for our motorsports this weekend. There's been a documentary series announced to come out on USA Network for NASCAR following their chase for the championship. Similar to Drive to Survive but different at the same time. Hopefully that does well ratings-wise. And also, Peacock came out with a documentary called Chase, which is debuting later in August. 2311 Racing announced the SPEED Initiative, which stands for Scholarship Professional Education Executive Development, focused on their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. We'd love to see that. And Atlanta penalties. Adam Stevens, Jonathan Hassler, Mike Wheeler, and Greg Ives are all fined 10 grand apiece for those pesky little lug nuts. And Brian Wilson and Chris Gale were both fined five grand apiece for those same little pesky lug nuts. That'll wrap things up, party people, for episode 116 of Victory Lane 2.0. Hope you guys like what you heard here today. Appreciate Steve for hopping on. Appreciate all you guys for listening. As always, I know it sounds trivial, but do me a favor, please. Leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to the pod, iTunes, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, we should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line and I will try to rectify that issue for you. We will be back next week with another guest from the NASCAR world. We will talk about New Hampshire and we will preview nothing because it's going to be the Olympic break. So you better enjoy this weekend because two weeks without NASCAR during the season, that hasn't happened in a long, long time. Peace and love, my dude and dudettes. Catch you on the flip side.